Please be warned. This podcast contains lewd language, slapstick violence, and general buffoonery. Listener discretion is wholeheartedly encouraged. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to chapter three of Art Frat Rejects Write a Murder Mystery. I'm here with the nefarious, gregarious Huber. <laughs> Hi. Huber, you introduced Veronica. Oh, and <laughs> I'm here with the... I don't know any big words. I don't, I'm not smart like you guys. I'm here with the quiet yet giggly... <laughs> Veronica Grace Talion. That's me. And I, I assume this means I'm introducing Sophia. And we are here with the uh, the herbaceous and the sardonic Sophia. Cool. Okay. So, Veronica, I mean, it's time to put your money where your mouth is because this <laughs> chapter is written by you. So are we going to see... I would like to say that, you know, I'm, I'm not great writer now I don't, I don't know but i'd like to think that i've improved significantly from when i wrote this so i would just like to apologize to everyone who's reading or who's gonna hear this now i promise i'm not horrible <laughs> and on that cheery confident note let's get started hi guys Sophia here. Really quickly, before we jump into Veronica's chapter, I realised while I was editing that we never told you last week what this week's crowbar contributions are, so you have no idea when to say ding ding ding. So I'm going to tell you right now. Huber's phrase for this week is swagged up ovaries, and my line for this week is you can't bake a cake if the batter's with the devil. So Veronica had to incorporate those. Keep an ear out and ding, ding, ding with us when they pop up. Okay, let's start Veronica's chapter. Chapter 3, The Exodus at Vanderlyle Asylum. <laughs> Vanderlyle Asylum was situated on the west side of town, beyond the community college, wheat fields, abandoned auto repair garages, and finally, beyond Signor Romanzo's House of Wonders. So far away from the commercial district of Moletown that, more often than not, it was completely forgotten in spoken or written conversation. It was a humble building of three stories and an underground basement with black sides and shingles, its roof peeking prominently like a church steeple into the foggy sky. The garden lining the front walkway was dying. The plain wood of the front porch likely had rot. The upstairs windows had been busted open and those which remained were frosted over in a dense matrix of cobwebs and the entire west and north sides of the Victorian house were painted over in a dark, dark suit. Suit? Wait, do you call it suit? It's soot. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm stupid. It's soot. I'm so sorry. In a, in a dark, dark suit. Because it's very dark, apparently. Okay, continue. Perhaps at one point in its history, it had been breathtaking, but Vanderlyle Asylum at present, to put it kindly... Looked worse for wear. That's a cliche sentence. Oh, you you, you bet your bonnet it is. Where are we? Wait, Huber makes a very good point. Where are we? Remember it got so confusing the way you situated Vandalia Asylum that you started drawing a map? It's on the west side of town. I said it very clearly. Uh... Beyond the community college, wheat fields and abandoned auto repair garages. <laughs> okay. Not my fault you guys can't keep up. The interior did not show much improvement for it smelled overwhelmingly of mold and smoke, and the furniture and walls too had fallen victim to the same burns that consumed the outside. 
A for sale sign hung just beyond the front door, but it had been loitering there precariously for the past ten years, ever since the fire drove the orphans out into the wintry sub-zero night, so no one expected it to be sold any time soon. The orphans? When she was young... You guys said oh. this the first time, too! Oh, right, I forgot, sorry, I forgot Asylum used to be or- an orphanage. I learned it from Anne of Green Gables. <laughs> oh my god! So it's been backed by research. That makes so much sense now that I've watched Anne with the When she was younger, Wilhelmina didn't like to think of the orphanage at its home. At its best, she considered it to be a temporary refuge where she could rest her head for the night, for in her mind she could transform herself into a wandering vagabond, armed with nothing but a fanny pack and red bandana, and set to discover the secrets of the universe. Sorry, I like how in her imagination, she can be anything in the world, and she's still, like, her standards are so low, she resorts to a vagabond with nothing but a fanny pack, and the only other thing she allows herself is a bandana. No, no clothes, just a bandana. She has a fanny pack! She doesn't have, like, a torch or batteries or, like, food, just two things. She's a minimalist, but no, she has her, she has her wit as well because apparently she's a she's a child prodigy if she can be a computer science professor by 16 or something <laughs> right but reality would always come back down to her the next day when she awoke at the blink of five in the morning the matron yelling at her too who wants to be the matron hubert go for it hit your hands and knees girl and scrub the front porch with soap and water you have to earn your keep if you want <laughs> to stay here so cute hubert to put it liberally, she didn't have many friends at the asylum. Well, no, that was a lie. She didn't have any friends at the asylum. They thought she was an off-brand taste of peculiar, and she ran her mouth in imagination entirely too much. No, the only thing she had to look forward to during the day was perhaps a secret visit from the girl Clara Willoughby, whom she met when Vanderlyle's primary benefactor, the girl's mother, stopped by with a basket of donations. Clara Willoughby and Wilhelmina Wellington were acquainted by happenstance when Wilhelmina was eight years old and Clara was seven. It was Thanksgiving, and the orphanage, per usual, was undersupplied to the point where their holiday dinner would just be the traditional bowl of gruel in a celebratory one-inch brownie square. Mrs. Willoughby's basket may have been a kind gesture, but it would be spread quite thinly among the 35 girls, and she had packed it with all the things no one else would have wanted anyway. Wilhelmina spied the mother and her child from behind a curio cabinet. The girl had long blonde hair that curly cued down her back. Her coat and hat were a matching blood orange red. She had her fabric doll pinned firmly to her chest, and her eyes flew back and forth across the rooms. I'm just imagining her eyeballs falling out of her face and flying around the room like bubble <laughs> trouble. <laughs> what a cliche. <laughs> I'm sorry. Clara Willoughby had heard things about asylum girls, mostly from her friend Priscilla Alatosia. They were wild, rampant, would bare their teeth at anyone, couldn't be trusted. I would just like to say that this is a moment of head-hopping. I start from the perspective of Wilhelmina, but here you, you get this little bit of Clara. You say that, you know, she had, Clara had heard things from, about the asylum girls, mostly from her friends. So there you go. That's an example of head-hopping. Don't do it. Messy, messy. I feel completely disoriented by this narrator, and it's completely t- taken me out of the story. I preferred Ruby Red, chapter two. No, it's Thank a you. missy. It's an omniscient narrator. That's some, like, you know, 
19th century novel <laughs> stuff. I'm not down it for is, it. It is, but to be fair, I, the vast majority of, no, the vast majority of things I read are 19th yeah, century. Some George Eliot shit. <laughs> Omniscient, omnipresent, um, no thanks. <laughs> Who are you, Virginia Woolf? Okay. Come on. <laughs> I'm going to continue now. <laughs> Nevertheless, Clara couldn't help be curious, and while Wendy Willoughby followed the matron into the kitchen to deposit the donation basket, Clara took leave from her mother's side and wandered into the sitting room. It was then that she spotted the frizzy head of the small girl cowering behind some large wooden chest, staring directly at Clara's pink-dressed doll. Clara straightened her spine to draw herself to her full height. She eyed the stranger up and down, taking in her ugly yellow dress, tin cloth pinafore, a thin cloth pinafore. Sorry, tin bag. She eyed the. (laughs) Well, we apparently in the previous chapter I was talking like a munchkin or whatever it is in those lands, but (laughs) wrong wrong story. (laughs) She eyed the stranger up and down, taking in her ugly yellow dress, thin cloth pinafore, and boots with a gaping hole in one toe. Her eyes narrowed, and she placed her hands on her hips, though she wasn't particularly sure why. Cliché. <laughs> so she wasn't particularly sure why, see? she She's aware that she's doing a cliché. <laughs> okay. It was just something her mother always did when she was cross. Okay, fair enough. Because Wendy is a walking Karen cliché. Okay, Hugo, off you go. Are you spying on us? <laughs> Clara Willoughby demanded. But, n- no. Wilhelmina stuttered. No, I swear I wasn't. <laughs> I just wanted to see if I could scope out what that lady brought in her basket. I thought if I could go back to the other girls with good news. Wilhelmina's voice trailed off a little bit here. I'm awfully sorry, miss. Your coat and doll are real pretty. Damn, she's calling this a girl who's one year younger than her miss. Because <laughs> she's a cockney street urchin. Who somehow found her way into an orphanage. <laughs> How did she do that? Oh, because Countess Wellington of Wellington. Oh, right. Hubert didn't listen to the first chapter, so he doesn't understand, but okay. Ay, ay, ay. But Clara Willoughby didn't have the disposition of her mother to keep up the stern facade. Where Wendy Willoughby was sharp at the edges and quick to judge, Clara was open-minded. Her face softened, and she took a tentative step towards the girl. That lady was my mother. Was. (laughs) She's not my mother anymore. I feel like we're going to have the most lessons about creative writing in my own chapters, i.e. things not to do. I mean, there's a reason you're the one that had to take the creative writing lessons. This is very true, and I have to say, I think I benefited very much from it. So, I I have room to improve. I make no pretense about my, my abilities. That lady was my mother. She just wanted to bring a basket over for Thanksgiving, but I don't think there was much good in it. I would eat anything from there anyway, but I've been told I'm a bit of a picky eater. Hopefully you'll have other food besides what we brought, or else your Thanksgiving dinner won't be very grand, I'd say. Wilhelmina's face fell. Grand. What seven-year-old uses that word? (laughs) What a grand dinner. It also feels a bit uh, antiquated, and from what I understand, this is present day. So I don't don't know. What Huber did was he made... He made Wilhelmina an adult and threw her into the future. You've thrown her into the 1700s. <laughs> I know, so maybe I shouldn't have been giving Kiefer such a hard time in the previous chapter. At least now that she's in, like, you know, the 18th century, at least it justifies the narrator being omniscient and omnipotent. This is very true. This is very true. 
Wilhelmina's face fell, try as she may have to conceal it from the stranger. I... Oh my god. In the silence... It's called silence, Hubert. In the silence. (laughs) Poor Hubert. Sorry. In the silence, Clara's keen eye surveyed the girl once more. She was... See, this is more head-hopping. See, first... Wilhelmine is trying to conceal her emotions from the stranger, but now we have Clara surveying the girl and seeing her through her eyes. This is, oh my god, I'm so sorry. Yes, yes. This is very bad. You're such a bad way. In the silence, Clara's keen eyes surveyed the girl once more. She was a small thing, to be sure, but not unhandsome. That's another very antiquated word. What seven-year-old thinks like this? And also, the, just the way that's saying, though her hair be frizzy, it was an attractive shade of brown, and though her limbs looked skinny and weak, there was a certain vivacity to her eyes that was hard to go ignored. That was hard to go ignored? Why not just, that was hard to ignore? That works perfectly fine. For the benefit of the listener, um, there are so many words and phrases in this chapter that have a little blue underline tick. You know, one of the grammars are grammatically <laughs> incorrect. <laughs> and I just want to point out that mine did not have that. <laughs> no, yes. Cuba used all real words See, and grammatically no, I'm being more sentences. experimental, that's why. I'm being more on the cusp of something new. Sure, Jan. Clara took another precarious step forward. I'd say it isn't the end of the world, though. Clara took another precarious step forward. There's still plenty of time for other people to drop off donations. She reasoned. I doubt it. All of the asylum's patrons have been slowly falling away. Patrons? Does that mean, like, shoppers? (laughs) Yeah, like people who are funding the place. I mean, unless it's, maybe it's not received. Maybe it's a private orphanage. Oh, I see. Are there private orphanages? <laughs> the private orphanage <laughs> industrial complex. So, I don't know. I didn't do a lot of research about orphanages before I wrote this. And it shows. Then adding quickly. I'm not supposed to know that, but I couldn't help but reading the matron's letters. Really? Wilhelmina shrugged. What will you do if there's no one else? I don't suppose I know. <laughs> the only family left is some people called the Willoughby's. That's us. My name's Clara. She stuck out her hand. Wilhelmina's thin eyebrows arched. She wasn't sure what she was supposed to do with the girl's polished, prim fingers. Sensing her confusion, Clara took the last step towards the orphan, picked up her right hand with her own, and gave it a firm shake. Wilhelmina still wasn't exactly sure what to make of the gesture, but she replied nevertheless. I'm Wilhelmina. Does, has Wilhelmina never shaken hands? She's never seen somebody shake hands. <laughs> She's a very Dickensian character, I feel. Do they shake? You You wrote your thesis about this, Sophia. Was there ever once a handshake in Bleak House? I think there was, because there are a lot of like legal deals. I'll tell you what there wasn't in Bleak House. A child head of a computer <laughs> science department at a university. <laughs> well... Computer science wasn't a thing back then, to be fair. They probably had like some sort of like computational abacus thing going on then, but fair enough. Okay. I'm Wilhelmina. Peculiar name. (laughs) 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 Sorry, you go, you go. I'm Wilhelmina. (laughs) That's a peculiar name. What seven-year-old says peculiar? (laughs) Another one of my lifelong grievances. 
The thing is, Veronica, you picked that name. I asked you guys. I was like, you guys give me a name, I'll put it in the first chapter. You gave me Wilhelmina, and now you're crapping on her for it. Well, I, I wanted something that was, like, kind of overwrought. No offense to all the Wilhelminas out there, but it it's kind of a peculiar name. Sure is. Is it real? Or did you come up with it? Again. It's a real name, yeah. Okay. Don't you know Wilhelmina Models? No. It's a, it's a model agency in the United States. Okay. Thanks. Wait, but again, what eight-year-old would say, another one of my lifelong grievances? She's, well, I mean her as a very precocious child, you know? She doesn't know. She doesn't know what to say. I think it will... I... <laughs> I remember during this time I was reading a lot of Anne of Green Gables and you know Anne Shirley is also a very precocious child who uses weird vocabulary for her age so I think that was rubbing off on me honestly I can see that, I can really see that okay, fair enough Do you like it here? Not particularly Then why don't you leave? Oh my god, what a privileged thing to say <laughs> Well, she's, she's about to say it Clara asked with the innocence only a seven-year-old could have Wilhelmina's brow furrowed. I have nowhere else to go. Believe me, I could if I would. I'd like to go exploring. I think maybe sail around on a boat or two. <laughs> like one foot on each boat. <laughs> I've always liked the water. Well, I actually wouldn't know because I've never been. But I imagine I'd like it. Not from a bath or something. <laughs> so sad. You've never been to water. Like a rain puddle. <laughs> I've never bathed. <laughs> That's not in the narrative. She had that. She added that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, I've always liked the water. Well, I actually wouldn't know because I've never been, but I imagine I'd like it. That's what she said. Okay, that's what she said. And Clara says, Well, you can't make a <laughs> Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> You can't make a cake if the batter's with the devil. Sophia came... So i just like to say Sophia came up with that one, I think. This is my line. I'm very proud of it, and I would appreciate it if it was said with full effect, please. <laughs> like, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I just forgot. I forgot the genius. I forgot the genius that went into this. Okay. Well. Well. You can't make a cake if the batter's with the devil. <laughs> Clara recited robotically. Oh, sorry, okay. Well, you can't make a cake if the batter's with the devil. <laughs> Clara recited robotically. <laughs> what? <laughs> Wilhelmina asked crossly. This gets out another tip. There are too many adverbs in here. Anyway, Wilhelmina asked crossly, sure that the girl was making fun of her now. She hadn't understood Clara's handshake fair enough. But Wilhelmina was nearly sure any... What? What is She hadn't understood Clara's handshake fair enough, but Wilhelmina was sure anyone would have found her response strange and unnatural, even if they weren't an orphan. <laughs> fair enough. And she was right. <laughs> oh, it's just something my mother says. Clara explained. I'm not sure if I even fully understand it myself, but it seemed to fit. You can't do something if the power to enact on your wishes is out of your control, you know? I'm sorry, I need to say that again, but 
again, what seven-year-old? Seven. <laughs> I'm not sure if I even fully understand it myself, but it seemed to fit. You can't do something if the power to enact on your wishes is out of your control, you know? Wilhelmina shrugged once more, conceding that such reasoning seemed fair enough. Clara continued, Perhaps I can come back the day after the next, after Thanksgiving. I can bring some dinner left. fuck. I can bring some of my dinner leftovers if, if your meal will be so plain. And perhaps we can go to the beach so you can finally see the water. Oh, I don't know. Wilhelmina's voice wavered with uncertainty. Oh, oh I don't know. Wilhelmina's voice wavered with uncertainty. Her eyes watched as she shuffled from worn boot to worn boot, trying to avoid Clara's gaze. I'm not really allowed to leave, Vandalile. Clara rolled her eyes and chuckled. <laughs> I didn't expect you would be able to, silly. That's why we'll sneak out. Wilhelmina's pupils dilate. Wait, so Clara's fully aware, like, I know you're trapped and imprisoned here, <laughs> but I ain't gonna do shit about it unless it's just for me to have a fun day. Well, you can elaborate on this friendship in one of your chapters if you so desire. Sorry, okay. Wilhelmina's pupils dilated with bubbling fear and excitement to finally leave the asylum, even if only temporarily, to finally have a companion to walk by her side and listen without judgment as she ran her mouth about whatever her imagination fancied. That was the thing of dreams. But to endure the matron's wrath if she ever got wind of the insubordination, to feel the end of her wooden spoon and hear the snickers from the other girls if she were caught. Sorry, I didn't mean to do snickers from other girls, but... but Why are you laughing? Just, just I, now, knowing more about Anne of Green Gables now, this is so Anne of Green Gables. Oh, <laughs> I, I was really into that, that same show, Anne with an E. I was really into that show back then, so... For the first time, words failed Wilhelmina. Well, I wouldn't say for the first time. She's been kind of a stuttering mess before this. Cliche. Yeah, for the first time, <laughs> words failed Wilhelmina. She couldn't speak, could only breathe. I think I spelled breathe wrong. Could barely yeah, breathe. Could barely breathe. Cliche. <laughs> <laughs> she needed to let Clara down easily without spoiling the potential friendship. But instead, the girl in the posh coat and hat set took the orphan's silence as a blood agreement, smiling and saying, Wait, this is Diana and Anne. This is Diana and Anne from Out of Green Gables. You're just plagiarizing. It's a modern adaptation. Okay. It's not, because it's from the 18th century by the narrator. But it's different because she becomes a computer science professor. Anne just goes off and becomes a teacher. Oh, wait, that's the same job. Oh, God, you're right. <laughs> okay, so Veronica's going to get done for plagiarism. Cuba needs his sponsorships from Rolex and Mercedes-Benz. God damn it, Veronica. Mm -hmm. Sorry, guys. Great. I'll be back here on Friday. Probably around three. Meet me around the back. And thus began an auspicious companionship between a lone orphan at Vanderlyle and a spoiled child of suburbia. They did go to the beach, as promised, and Clara did bring her new acquaintance a piece of pumpkin pie from Thanksgiving dinner. Both the waves and seagulls and sweet dessert were as liberating and magnificent as the orphaned imagined they would be, and the prospect of a friend as endearing as she could have fathomed. Aw, that's nice. Okay. New scene. A stove fire burned Vanderlyle Asylum inside out that very same winter, displacing the 35 girls to wherever homes could be found because there weren't nearly enough funds or benefactors to make the necessary repairs. Stacy Andrews went as far as California. Quinn Halifax was sent to a Moletown mother already with a bevy of her own children, and Quinn was expected to help care for all eight of them. 
Wilhelmina watched the others go one by one, chewing nervously on the ends of her hair. No one knew where she would end up. No one had even inquired about her. So there she sat one day at the hostel atop a brown rolling trunk, her nose buried in a book, as it was easier to imagine unworldly, albeit fake, universes than to live in reality, when a wrinkled man with straw-gray hair approached her and told her to gather her things and follow him. Why? The man's voice was as deep as thunder. Where are you taking me? Am I being adopted? Of sorts, I suppose. By whom? Where will we go? Just follow me. She didn't think, nay, she knew she didn't trust him. <laughs> Go on. Just, just, just. So emphatic. Nay, she knew she didn't trust him. But she had heard the matron grumbling to another woman the previous night that all children who weren't claimed by the end of the week would be turned out into the street. If another possibility besides following the gray man were possible, it was made unknown to her. Please, sir. She tried again. Your name, at least. He told her it was Leviticus. <gasps> and Huber, because you didn't listen in chapter one, that was one of the characters I introduced that you guys were meant to pick up on. Thank you, Veronica. <laughs> I'm good for something, at least. Hey, I picked up on Clara. And I picked up on Wilhelmina. <laughs> oh, yes, the big one. Great. <laughs> you picked up on the name Wilhelmina. You didn't pick up on anything else. <laughs> I picked up on Signor Romanzo. I picked up on Goldfinger. True. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Okay, cool. Come on. Okay. New scene. Ten years later. Ten years later, the evening Signor Romanzo had apparated into our car. Wilhelmino sat by... Sorry, I'm, I'm interrupting myself, but whenever, in the past, when we said Signor Romanzo, we had to say it with, like, gusto. Signor Romanzo. Roll the I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick that up and be annoying. Ten years later, the evening Signor Romanzo had apparated into her car. Wilhelmina sat by her lonesome in caravan number three. Her friend, arguably her only, Clara Willoughby, was dead. She was asleep and dead in a steel coffin. Steel. She's not asleep, she's dead. Steel? You know, coffins are made of steel. It's so heavy. <laughs> she, has a, she, has a, she has a very active imagination. <laughs> making up terrible. Facts. <laughs> she was asleep and dead in a steel coffin, and nothing would be around to wake her. Not this time, yes, because she's died so many other times in the past. <laughs> Previously, we've just woken her up. <laughs> we don't know. We could pick up with that and work with it. Her mind reeled at a million words per minute. Sleep deceived her. She pulled on a heavy jacket and shoes and departed once more. Not entirely sure where her feet would take her, Wilhelmina found herself outside Clara's home 15 minutes later. It was dark, but for the streetlights and news vans camped out on the front lawn. Oh, I remember this part. Everyone was so mad at me with how I made this, this murder play out. So I'm going to apologize preemptively here. I don't remember this, so I'm really excited. I don't remember either. You're going to be so disappointed. It's, it's a very, it's a pathetic letdown, you might say. The house of Clara Willoughby slept. She approached it cautiously, just as Clara approached her with apprehension at their first meeting at Vanderlyle Asylum, not entirely sure if she wanted to get closer, but curiosity pulling at her limbs like a puppeteer of a show at the Moultown Populaire Theatre. Inspector Golfini hadn't told her anything about the case, and she never did find Signor Romanzo's moleskin. So even his bit of knowledge eluded her. 
Unable to stand it any longer, she approached the white Channel 9 news van, where a reporter slept lazily in the front seat. She tapped on the window, and he awoke with a start. Rolling down the window, he said, Hubert, do you want to be the news guy? What can I do for you? <laughs> That's great! <laughs> what do you know about this? About Clara Willoughby? About the murder? Wilhelmina asked, gesturing to the house before her. The reporter rubbed his sleep-startled eyes. The investigation's still in the preliminary stages. Not much is circulating out there. But there's a theory floating around about how she was killed and by whom. What was it? Wilhelmina's efforts to mask her eagerness were largely flimsy. What have people been saying? The reporter eyed her with suspicion. I don't know. What will I get out of it in return? I knew the girl. She admitted. Clara Willoughby. I knew her at one point. I'll tell you whatever you want to know about her. He relented after some time thinking. All right. She was found in her second story bedroom by her mother in the afternoon, directly beneath the window outlooking the front lawn here. No signs of broken glass, and the window was locked from the inside. He paused, gauging Wilhelmina's reaction. Her face moved not an inch. She was as silent as a stone. <laughs> She was stabbed just once. Oh. <laughs> but the cut was messy. Really ragged. So they think the knife was serrated. Oh, and its handle was broken off, but the blade was left in the body. It must have been a pretty forceful struggle. The report he left a note too. But the police have already taken that as evidence. Man, I would give a kidney just to know what it said. Maybe then my story would be picked up by the national news. Why were we upset at this? Was it just because like we were expecting a real murder sequence to be described and you put it all in one one paragraph? I think that you guys were just expecting more. I'm not sure, but I remember there was a real outrage. Not as outraged as when we figured out that Wilhelmina was a computer science professor, <laughs> but there was there was certainly a brouhaha. <laughs> Actually, yeah, I, I think I wanted like black magic, maybe a circus thing to have happened and like a weird Ouija board, but and then she's like, oh, she was stabbed. And I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. Well, you know, maybe maybe that could still happen. We don't know what happened in that room that, that afternoon. So there's there's room for, for maneuvering. Definitely. And in an era littered with fake questionable news, who knows if this reporter is correct? Exactly. He might have uh, the wrong, wrong intel. Yeah. Okay, well, scene. New scene. Lysander Day Avitt was 33 going on 21. He had a big tooth TV personality smile. He wore khakis no matter the weather and an exuberantly colored pastel polo shirt. His watch was bigger than a small nectarine and had more dials than he knew what to do with. He drove a sparkling white Jetta and was in Gamma Phi fraternity at some California university where he befriended the future CEO of HR DIY TV. That's home renovations, do-it-yourself TV, mind you. Who gave him a job as the host of Fantasy Fixer Uppers, a mid-afternoon show where he was charged with finding the most decrepit, crumbling houses and renovating them back into use. That is my favorite description of anyone ever. <laughs> 33 going on 21. What? <laughs> He's Benjamin Button. He's very useful. He's... I just realized. Oh my god. Oh my god. I just realized that's what it said. I didn't, it didn't register in my mind. <laughs> oh god. 
Anyway, Sorry, in parentheses, Lysander Day Avett's proudest reconstruction to date, by the way, was some New Mexican sanatorium used to cure people of tuberculosis. He transformed it in... Wait, I'm so sorry. I can hear that's, crime in the background. Whose crime. crime is that? That's my crime. I'm sorry, we'll let it pass. This would have been great, it's like, when we were reading... No, it would have been great if we were reading maybe your chapter when we first find the murder, but now it's a bit out of place, because now they're going to be renovating this this nice asylum. I was thinking about including, like, foley sounds and, like, background noises and stuff in, on the audio when I edit it, and I was like, ah, oh, it's too much work. But, like, that siren would have worked in another world where I do put the foley. <laughs> okay, it's gone. Well, they're always they're always coming up and down this street, so there will be more opportunities, let me tell oh, you. No. Anyway, parentheses. Lysander Day Avett's proudest reconstruction to date, by the way, was some New Mexican sanatorium used to cure people of tuberculosis. He transformed it into a very beautiful roller skating rink. I'd like to say that this New Mexican sanatorium is real, but it has not been converted into a roller skating rink. You can dream. <laughs> exactly. Maybe maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll become the next Lysander Day Avett. You know, this whole podcast thing doesn't work out. He got out of his Jetta and walked closer to the house, three stories tall and with two walls burned through and through. It certainly fit the profile of a fantasy fixer-upper. <laughs> Sherry Sharon of Sherry Sharon Realty was standing beneath the plaque that read Vanderlyle Asylum. She smiled the classic real estate agent grin, keen, too intent on pleasing, at Lysander Day Avent, a mild celebrity, and he returned the gesture. She wore a cream orange suit set with a white blouse. Her hair was dyed an obvious shade of platinum blonde, but he didn't care. Beneath the flamboyance and orange and sticky lipstick, he was certain she had herself a pair of swagged up. <laughs> this was the word. Oh no. Okay, I'll say this again. Her hair was dyed an obvious shade of platinum blonde, but he didn't care. Beneath the flamboyance and orange and sticky lipstick, he was certain she had herself a pair of swagged up ovaries that were ready to negotiate if he could wait to close this deal. <laughs> swagged up ovaries. Who wants to be Sherry Sharon? Can I? Yes, please do. I, I have a question though, as a now that I'm in a play, I, f I feel a lot more confident in my acting abilities. Can I change the word you to your? I think it would be really great for the character. Oh yeah, please do. Please do. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Y'all must be Lysander Day Avid then, she said with her viscous smile. Big fan of the show. I'm Sherry Sharon of Sherry Sharon Realty. Let's go on in and have a look around and then we can talk price, okay? I have to say, I have a feeling you'll love this place. It sure does have a lot of history. Dot, 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 dot. dot. Dun, dun, dun. I mean, that's not a very dun, dun, dun ending. Veronica, you've put like four chapters in there. This was only four pages. Everyone else's was two. <laughs> Sorry. I enjoyed it, though. I thought that was really great. I... I haven't read any of your writings since Art Frat Rejects, but um, I'm sure you've improved because this was already great. And so now after your lessons, I can only imagine how wonderful of a oh, writer you must so be. that's so nice. Thank you. <laughs> no compliment from humor. Okay. Oh, wait, sorry. Did you have any other notes about the episode? Uh, no, thank you for putting up with my head hopping. <laughs> humor, did you have any notes? Yeah. 
I'm a better writer than Veronica. This is exhibit A. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, but no, I'd like to say that Huber is more technically pure, but I've, I'm taking risks with form and structure and language. My work is not just cut and dry, it's poetry. Huber plays it safe <laughs> okay. to a mass audience. Veronica plays it dangerous to a niche audience. Exactly. There's something for everyone. Okay. Well, good thing we have those two types of audiences, right? <laughs> Just me as your, like, number one fan. Cool. Well, that's our show. Until next time. Bye, guys. Until next time. Bye. I wish the the viewers could have a video because Hubert did a little shoulder shimmy. It was nice. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch, share your thoughts, or stalk us, you can find us at artfratrejects.com or on all sorts of social media with the handle at artfratrejects. If you can't get enough, make sure you listen to Case Files episodes too, where we delve into the plot, characters, and vote on the quality of our chapters. Stay safe out there! Using the same silver spoon he had cooked with, 